0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit Champschurch.com. So I'm
1: going to invite him up here, and I'm going to ask, if you would, just give a, a warm, loving family, Champions Church welcome to our very own Nate Walker. Do I look nervous? <laughs> this is, I i will say, this is the first time in uh, nearly 14 years that I've ever spoken publicly in front of this church. I've uh, had the opportunity to uh, teach the youth for uh, a few times, and I'm grateful, very grateful for that, because it, that kind of actually spurred my... Uh, Decision to go ahead and say yes, even though I am more nervous than you than probably my face shows. Although I'm sure my face shows a lot. Um, I want to pre- I want to kind of preface this by um, thanking our pastor for having the humility and willingness to acknowledge those kind of things in front of us. That is, it, it, all the men out there, you know how hard that is even to acknowledge things in front of your wife, much less a congregation you're called uh, to lead. So I, want, I wanted to thank him for that. Um, when I got that call, uh, I guess it was Friday morning, um, I, was, I, was, I was taken aback because obviously it's never been something I've been asked to do, but I am grateful for the opportunity. And um, anyways... So I'll I'll stop rambling. My mom. I actually talked to my mom yesterday, and one thing she said: Nathan, don't ramble. <laughs> when you get nervous, you ramble, and sometimes even when you're not nervous, you ramble. Maybe so, <laughs> no, I love my parents. they they're part of the reason that uh, I am who I am, and I'm grateful for that. So, um, today I thought that we would just kind of do. Um, I guess you would call it kind of a bird's eye view, kind of a high view, which basically means a, an overview but not not super detailed, but it uh it will drive I'm sure it will drive the point home. And if some of the points, if you've been in church for any length of time whether it's this church or any Bible preaching church, some of these points might come off as just a tad obvious, but I believe they are still very, very relevant, especially in a day of such intense spiritual warfare that as we are living in right now. So, um, I want to start out. I want to start out with some prayer. I, I admit it's kind of selfish, <laughs> kind of praying for myself, but also that we would um, be uh, truly listening for what God has for us today. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, I thank you for this church, I thank you for every person sitting in this room, and every person that right now is not sitting in this room but wishes they were, um, that you would bless us with the insight into your word that only you can give, and uh, that you would truly take me out of the picture and speak through your word today. I pray these things all in your son's name, amen. Amen. Alright, so who here is familiar with the passage uh, regarding the armor of God? Okay, you can raise your hand. This is a participation thing. Okay, I'm, I'm going to assume that everyone does. Uh, so let's uh, turn in your Bibles for our focal passage for today. Uh, Book of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 10 and going through verse 18. It uh, is quite a mouthful, but I believe it is important for us to know the entire context of the armor of God. So um, it reads like this Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. Uh, There was a devotional that I found that was written by a, a pastor from a church in Toronto Canada's Mercy City Church and I won't read his whole statement but basically um, his church had gone from a place that they were constantly fighting carnal battles con just it, it just seemed to never end and they finally realized the pastor and the leadership finally came into a realization we've been fighting natural battles when we're supposed to be fighting spiritual ones And when they started fighting those spiritual battles, they started noticing like, hey, why why is all this stuff happening? Why is the enemy? It's like he's awake now. It's like because before you weren't fighting him. Now you're fighting him. So he's going to fight back. So um, there's four things we're going to find today. That was the intro. So four things. Uh, The first thing we're going to find is who the fight is not against. The second thing we're going to find is who the fight is against, so who we should, you know, who should actually be getting fought and why. Third thing we're going to find is who the battle truly belongs to, and then we're going to close with uh, basically what are we supposed to do about it. So the first thing, like I said, the first thing we're going to find is who the fight is not against. Well, if you'll refer back to Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse 12, uh, it states that pretty clearly, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So our battle basically, it means it's not against other people, not the, not the people that cut us off in the drive through or in the road trying to uh, make a turn or somebody who jumped in front of us in the line at the bank, or you you could name any number of things that would cause you to want to act out against another person. They may say something, they may do something, you may see them do something. Um, The Mercy City church guy in Toronto uh, put it this way, good and evil are locked in, in a fight to the death match for this world. We as people are caught in the crossfire. The enemy uses us as his human shields and tools. Now, for in order for as blood bought children of God, the only way the enemy can use us is if we let him. He cannot make us do anything. He can put things in our head. He can give us thoughts, but he cannot make us act on anything that is our choice and if it's if it's been our choice long enough it will become a habit which then turns into instinct which we do without thinking Um, being angry with and fighting against other people will do us absolutely no good not only in the spiritual sense But it likely in the natural as well, like if you act out against somebody, well, what do you think they're going to do? They're not going to say, oh, hey, thank you for that. Thank you for porting out my error. No, they're probably going to get right back in your face and say, you first, you know. So um, as believers, we claim the blood of Jesus to achieve the righteousness that please God. Now guess what won't? I'm uh, we'll take you another passage of scripture, the first chapter of James, uh, starting in verse 19. Uh, we'll be visiting, revisiting this passage a little later. Um, it reads like this, my dear brothers, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And this is is the part I want us to catch. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, I have, I will show my clay feet a little bit here. I have acted out in anger more times than I care to count. I have acted out of things that were not godly. And I said things to people that were not kind, that were not building up, that were not encouraging not positive and I I was thinking about a lot of those things coming into this message today and it it opens my eyes to just how much grace I really need (laughs) if anyone like if I said who in here doesn't think they need grace I would hope no one would raise their hand because it wouldn't be true of anyone we all do from the youngest all the way to the oldest from the people you know from you know might think we have our stuff together we're doing good it's like hey I'm doing fine you know what what did I do wrong and the, the answer might be nothing but I digress the second thing we're going to find as I mentioned before is who the fight is against but before that i wanted to uh, reference a passage uh, if you'll turn in your bibles to romans chapter 12 verses uh, 17 and 18. this is another passage we'll revisit later in the message but uh, 17 and 18 read like this do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, someone may do something to you. They may try to provoke you. We, we hear, in we, you know, pastor's messages, we hear the word provocation a lot because that is exactly what the enemy will try to do. He'll try to provoke our peace. He'll try to provoke us into... Uh, basically setting aside our peace and responding with violence or whether it be verbal violence physical violence um, you name it that just any kind of uh, negative thing he tries to provoke us into um, again like I said we'll revisit that, pact, that passage later like I said we're going to find who the fight is against so we're going back to the uh, second half of Ephesians six verse twelve. You know, the first half said, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against other people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now that just that second half of that verse is a mouthful against the authorities, against the powers, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Just that part of verse 12 is a lot, of pro- lot to process. But it comes down to something at least fairly simple. The devil is our enemy. His demons and spirits, and even Satan himself, are hard at work doing whatever they can to dismantle the faith of as many people as they can. To drag as many people out of God's presence as he can. Like we talked about before, he sees us as tools to use against God because he knows how much God values us. And the thing is with Satan, you know, God will never be done with us. He will never be done pouring his spirit into us and through us. But eventually, the devil will be done with you. He's, it says, um, uh, turning your Bibles to... Uh, book of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 5, we'll be looking at verse 8. It's a fairly popular verse, and it gets, I, it gets quoted quite a bit. Um, basically, it kind of outlines what the devil will do with us, basically, when he's done using us. It said, be self-controlled and alert, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone. To devour—that is his only ultimate goal—is to eventually devour you. He knows that even if you're a blood-bought believer in Christ, he can still make your life miserable. He can—he can throw things at you that will leave you asking, "Well, where's God?" Well. You know, what did, what did I do to deserve all this? The answer is probably nothing except be a bloodbought child of God. That's all that's all that's the only criteria that Satan really needs to come after you. He wants and the other thing he wants is to stay hidden. He doesn't want anyone to know. He doesn't want anyone to understand what he's doing. Thankfully, you know, as blood-bought believers, our eyes have been opened. We, we see through what he's doing. We don't have to guess. It was like, oh my goodness, why is this happening? We know why it's happening. Satan wants to stay hidden and behind the scenes. He wants us to forget about him and fight each other. For he knows that as long as we are battling each other over things that the majority of the time have really no value in eternity that we are not actively battling him we're not trying to tear down the works of Satan we're trying to tear down each other in other words squabbling over things that are temporary he wants us fighting over politics he wants parents and coaches at little league games screaming at umpires he wants us fighting over money which you can't take with you and has no value in eternity He wants us angry. He literally wants us angry at our spouses, our siblings, even our fellow believers. And I am so guilty of that on every account. He wants us to fight each other so that we will forget what he's doing. And he can just move freely through the world working his horrible, terrible works but not only that it actually individually gives him a foothold into our individual life and if he can do that to enough people it will it will begin to do his work in the world and we wouldn't be tearing down the works of satan we would actually be bo- boistering them a little bit uh if you uh turn your bibles to ephesians uh the fourth chapter we're going to look at verse I am thankful to say that this is another passage of scripture that is quoted often in this body and it is easy to understand why it is so powerful. It's the Apostle Paul and it reads like this. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And here's the big part. Do not Give the devil a foothold. Now, what that says to me is that when we are angry and we are acting it out against other people, that gives Satan a nice little inroad. It basically puts a footstool, wherever you want to put it, it puts a footstool right next to us and he stands on it and he's attached to us when we are angry and we act out of anger the scripture does not say that's another thing that has been mentioned very frequently here it's okay to be angry it is not a sin to be angry what is what can become a sin is how we act it out we can either direct it in a positive direction or we can use it to tear down we can use it as a motivation or destruction Turn your Bibles to uh, John uh, chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 10. This is Jesus speaking. Give you all a couple of seconds to turn in your apps. Reads like this The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Or in some translations, have it more abundantly. The point I'm trying to make in this, I guess the sub-point that I'm trying to make in this second point is, Satan is our one and most important adversary. He is the one we should be battling. Not each other. We are sent to make disciples of all nations, of all people. For that, you can refer to the Great Commission, Matthew uh, 28, 18 to 20. We won't read it now, but uh, you can read that in your own time. Now, we can't hardly make disciples of nations if we're constantly arguing with and battling those same people over things that 99.99999% of the time won't matter in the scope of God's eternity. The scripture says that it's God's kindness that draws people to repentance. Jesus said that if we will glorify him, he will draw all men to himself. He didn't say if we argue with them and convince them that they are horrible people unless they agree with us, that they would draw him to himself. The gist of it is our battle is not with other people. I think we've established that by now. It is not with other people as against the forces of evil, both in this world and the spiritual world. Third thing we said we were going to find is who the battle really belongs to. Now, Like I mentioned before, if you've been coming to Champions or any other believing church for any length of time, you may have already come up with the answer to this question. Who does the battle really belong to? Well, it belongs to the Lord, right? So let's go back to that scripture in Romans chapter 12. You'll remember in the first part of that, in verses 17 and 18, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now comes the verse I want us to focus on here in this uh, juncture. This is verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Scripture reveals God expressing this sentiment quite a few times in the Scripture. And I don't have time to go through all of them. But basically, the battle's not ours. The battle, the spiritual battle was always for God. The real battle for the souls of men. Now with all that evidence of God fighting for us, and all the promises in Scripture that he will take vengeance... Why would we, as men, have any desire to keep battling those around us over petty, trivial things? Short answer, we should. However, we do have a part to play in all of this. Which brings me to uh, the point, what are we supposed to do? Where, where do we fit in in all of this? If the battle is God's and it's all spiritual, where do we fit in? Well, our focal passage in Ephesians chapter 6 is a good place to start. Remember in verse 11, God, or Apostle Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13 tells us roughly the same thing so that can take our stand when the day of evil comes. Now, I know we're kind of jumping back and forth here, but let's remember back to James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where we found that man's anger does not achieve the righteous life of God. Well, in verse 21, it goes on to give us some instruction. Therefore, So we'll see what it's there for. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So basically, stop indulging in what the world has to offer and accept what Jesus is offering you through his death and resurrection. In other words, the cleansing power of his blood, which can save you. If you not receive the free gift of Jesus Christ, you will not be able to achieve God's righteous life on your own. It is impossible. It is only through the blood of Jesus we are saved. To be a little more clear about it, you refer to the passage we referenced a few weeks ago in Revelation by the you know, blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And a part of that testimony is what we do with our lives. Let's remember back to Romans chapter 12 again. The scripture says to not take revenge but leave room for God's vengeance. Well, that's what not to do. Don't take revenge. Don't act out. Don't pay back evil for evil. Verse 20 tells us what to do. It's all it's all you know we hear all these you know churches all about rules it's all about what not to do. Well let's let's break that tradition a little bit and let's see what we're supposed to do. Verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good to put another way do not try to over do not over, be overcome by darkness but overcome darkness with light darkness cannot comprehend light it can't overcome it you turn out all these lights and light one candle sitting right here in the middle of the floor everyone will be able to see it you wouldn't be able to see it now because all the lights are on you go into a situation of total darkness, you become the light. It will shine brightly. Now, what that I don't think that Paul meant for us to literally go take a shovel out of a fireplace or a grill and shovel burning coals and throw it on people's heads. I know some of you that crossed your mind, please do not do that. But if you'll indulge you know, my loose interpretation, I believe that means people will not be able to respond with evil because you did not act with evil. The only evil that can be present in a situation is that which we bring to it. By choice, it is a choice. We can choose to repay evil for evil, or we can choose to overcome it with good, with love, with compassion. Feeding when people when they're hungry. These are kind of metaphorical, but they also have practical applications. Feeding people that are hungry. Giving something to drink people that are thirsty. Basically, it takes, a, it takes away, it knocks down that devil's footstool. It takes away his foothold. He can't. When you inject those things into a situation, he cannot, his way cannot prosper. And that is one way in which we can tear down the works of the devil. Okay, so kind of to summarize everything, the question remains, so how do we accomplish all this? Well, verse 20 gave us some Romans 12 20 gave us a few practical steps. Um, I think the main point of that passage is do good to people, be kind to people. You're arguing with them. If you if you bump up to somebody that's you know arguing with you about political things or things, just things that are going on in the world because they have a different viewpoint. They can easily, if you fall into their rationale, you will get drawn in to an argument and the devil will start climbing into that situation. He got his foothold, he got his foot in the door, and now he's pushed it open and you can't shut it. The trick with that is to never let him in. So how do we accomplish these things? First of all, like we mentioned before, not battling each other. That's who the battle's not against. Standing up against Satan. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That, who's the battle, that, who, that is who the, our battle is against. Third, allowing God to fight for us. Whose battle is it? It's God's. And lastly, the word hospitable comes to my mind. Be kind, be hospitable. Just be kind. Kind is the best word I can think of to summarize that. Now, we put, you refer back to our focal passage in Ephesians. It outlines what the different items of the armor of God consist of. I believe that is starting, I believe that's verse 14. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. So you can fend off Satan's flaming arrows. They're not just arrows. They want to set the whole course of your life on fire. They are flaming. And the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Those are the weapons we are given to fight with. Now you will notice that only one of those is an offensive weapon. I get, Or I guess really a weapon at all. The sword of the spirit. The rest of them, helmet, breastplate shield all defensive items we can defend ourselves against the devil's schemes and when we use those weapons that is when we when our goals truly align, come into alignment with God's God loves people and while he does you know we, we see in um, I believe it's Matthew 22 where he says the all the law and the commandments can be summed up in love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself now some people say oh the second he said the second one is like it It is like it. It is equal to it. We cannot claim to love God. We cannot claim to walk in his kingdom if we are not loving people. And again, showing the clay feet, I'm guilty. You know, you've heard the saying I'm pointing a finger at you, I'm pointing three back at myself. Uh, Actually, I'll just point all five of them back at myself because I'm guilty. Through the scripture, through outlining the armor of God, he has shown us how to fight the right battles with the right weapons. Towards the end of our focal passage today, and pray in the spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests, be alert and keep on praying for the saints. There's our weapon. There is the weapon, the only weapon that works on our enemy. That's why I'm so glad we. Th- th- this place has been a house of prayer, has always been a house of prayer. Prayer has been a central focus. That's why you see in our bulletin we have a prayer focus. We don't just have a monthly focus, it is a prayer focus it is a scripture to take in to what whatever may be your prayer closet or your your quiet time or your wherever you go to pray is meant to encourage and build up and when we pray God's word then we are we are fighting with the weapon that works on our enemy and it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be eloquent. You know, if I speak with the tongues of angels but have not love. <laughs> um, when we do when we fight in prayer, we truly do come alongside God and use the weapons. And and defenses, most importantly, that he has equipped us with. Now, it's easy. You'll see part of that passage says, with this in mind, be alert. It is so easy to let your guard down and forget what Satan's doing. Because, I mean, it's all over the place. You go anywhere. You can't escape it. You You look at your phone it's there it doesn't matter where you are it's there Satan's work is out there it's all around us we were we are sent to tear it down and we don't tear it down by degrading other people by dividing ourselves against each other but what I want us to catch right here in closing is be alert. Make sure you are armored up. I love that challenge coin that uh, some of the men have exchanged and it is a wonderful reminder of the armor of God. It is actually what inspired this. I want you I want I want to I want to call Tim out. I want you to know that that is what inspired this. But the alertness, alert, be alert. It's not just about having defense; it's about having weapons. Is being alert enough to know when to use them, when you need them. I've got a little audio clip um, just to give kind of a, a, uh, kind of a context, kind of a backstory to it. It's from the movie called Courageous. Who has seen the movie called Courageous? Came out two thousand eleven by the Kendrick Brothers. Uh, facing the giants fireproof war room all those Um, at the end of this movie um, adam mitchell a sheriff's deputy gives a speech to a church talking about fathers by the way this is kind of beside the point of the message but if there's anybody in the world that needs to be alert right now it's fathers And uh, kind of a backstory on this, uh, earlier in the movie, his daughter, is, his nine-year-old daughter is killed by a drunk driver. He had poured all of his affection and energy into this daughter, basically ignoring, almost ignoring his 15-year-old son. And... Her death forced him to realize that he hadn't been alert. He hadn't been holding onto the wheel, so to speak. Sammy, go ahead and play that clip.
0: As a law enforcement officer, I've seen firsthand the deep hurt and devastation that fatherlessness brings in a child's life. Our prisons are full of men and women who have lived recklessly after being abandoned by their fathers, wounded by the men who should have loved them the most. Many of these children now follow the same pattern of irresponsibility that their fathers did. While so many mothers have sacrificed to help their children survive, they were never intended to carry the weight alone. We thank God for them, but research is proving that a child also desperately needs a daddy. There's no way around this fact. As you know, earlier this year, my family endured the tragic loss of our nine-year-old daughter, Emily. Her death forced me to realize that not only had I not taken advantage of the priceless time I had with her, but that I did not truly understand how crucial my role was as a father to her and our son, Dylan. Since her passing, I've asked God to show me through his word, how to be the father that I need to be. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there, providing for them, He's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God, their father in heaven. The father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect. He should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it or ignore it, but I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value, but the souls of your children do.
1: Thanks. I know most of that message was regarding fatherhood that's actually the 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 aim of the movie is to kind of bring attention to fatherhood the importance of fatherhood things like that but what i want us to catch out of all that is the last sentence that he said in that clip you can't fall asleep at the wheel only to realize that your jobs and your hobbies have no eternal value but and he says the souls of our children, which is very, very true. But it's not, it's not, it's not, it starts with our family, but it's not limited to that. If we are not alert, if we just continually cruising on, as, I mean, as we're doing, I'm not saying as a church, I'm talking about individually. If we cruise on thinking, we're doing good we're doing everything right and we we may be doing everything we need to do but we have to be alert that there is a deeper battle going on it's not just what you see you can look at people in UK you see a certain type of person when we start seeing through God's eyes which I think is one thing that prayer will really that it really helps you do is that's one thing you can ask him. Ask me to show me, th- show me this person through your eyes. Don't let me look out and you know, see a guy standing on a street corner with a sign. He's like, oh, what a bum. Go get a job. And that it doesn't, it doesn't also necessarily mean it's like you have to just walk up there, whip out your wallet, and give him all your money. Because that may not be what he needs many many times other needs other needs that people perceive within themselves actually comes from a deep spiritual need we are called to fulfill that need and as i said this tells us how not to do it don't fight with people that you disagree with don't now should should you speak the truth in love I believe that has a place. Has a very big place. If we speak the if we if, if we love without speaking the truth, we're not doing anything. But if we speak the truth, if we argue with people what, with what we believe is the truth, they're not going to receive it. They're not going to say, oh hey, I want to be like that. Nobody wants to be like that. So what I want us to take away from this. Is um, don't battle with other people. Take the battle to where the battle belongs and give the battle to whom it belongs. Be kind to people. Whatever God puts in your heart to do for someone, do it. Don't wait. Don't ask, oh, can, can I really do this? Just do it. It's in your heart for a reason. God doesn't put something in your heart just so you can sit around and debate it. He gave us discernment so we will know when it's him. We will know because it will agree with this. It will agree with his word. And the last thing is be alert. Don't let your guard down for a second because if you, if you give Satan a millimeter, he will take a universe. You know, you've heard the saying, if you give an inch, he'll take a mile. I know I'm kind of exaggerating it out a little bit. You give him this much, he'll take everything. He will take basically your world, your universe. All right, I want to close in prayer. If every guys would stand with me. I hear it mentioned that the greatest minister in the room is the Holy Spirit. There's nothing I can say, there's nothing I can do that's going to be just so inspirational that it's going to just, oh, wow, man, he's such a great speaker. I'm not a great speaker. (laughs) My my nerves are going a 1,000 miles a minute still. But I want to ask the Holy Spirit, to speak to us from this word what we need to hear. Whether it's the who not to fight with, who, who to give the battle to, what to how to you know, live out, you know, the how to live out and put on the armor of God. I'll leave that to between you and the Holy Spirit. God, we come to you today again and We thank you for your word. The word you gave us so long ago that has stood the test of time. The one, the only thing that can change our lives, the only thing that can save mankind. God, I'm so grateful, I'm humbled and honored that you would speak today, use me as a vessel. But God, I'm more grateful for the people in this room. I am grateful for all the anointings that they bring, for all the gifts that they bring. Wow, we've got some talented and gifted people in this church. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for every blessing that you bestowed on us, that you bestowed on me personally. God your Holy Spirit ministers to us in ways that the, He could speak through us in words we can't we can't even fathom God if you would god he would take this word, use it to speak to us corporately and individually if there there might be something that you want to speak to someone that maybe wasn't even spoken, but it brought something to someone's remembrance. And God, I pray you send your Holy Spirit to minister to all of us now what we need to take from what we've heard today. God, we give the battle to you. In our own strength, we cannot win. The human flesh was not not designed to win these kind of battles. It is only you and your spirit in us that can win the battles, that can tear down the works of our enemy and bring the kingdom into being on earth. God, help help us to be kind. Oh my goodness, help us to be kind. In this world where kindness is the exception, not the rule. God, I ask that you make it the rule within us, within each one of us. Let it start with us and let it move outward. Starting with just the people in our own small sphere of influences to reach this city world. God. I, I don't even want to just take the steps. I want to go straight from the city to the world. God, you're an infinite God. You are omnipotent God. You can take a single act of kindness and change the world with it. God, you gave us the example in Jesus Christ. We don't have to search and wonder what we're supposed to do because it's been laid out right in front of us in the scriptures, in your word that you brought together from such a diverse group of writers, diverse backgrounds, a wide range of time, more time than we could even comprehend. And you brought it together for us. So, God, right now, I ask that your Holy Spirit minister to each of us. Show us what you want to show us. Teach us what you want to teach us, what we need to learn. If any man ever says he's got nothing left to learn, he's deceived. There is no one, young or old, that cannot gain something from your word, from your Holy Spirit. So God, I, I, again, again, I ask you, teach us what we need to be taught. Give us the lessons, however they need to happen. Teach us the lessons that we need to hear. Not the ones that we think somebody else needs to hear. It's like, oh, great, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so-and-so really needed to hear that. I don't want to hear what so-and-so needs to hear. I want to hear what I need to learn what I need to improve on, what I need to change. I can't change anyone else. So God, by your grace, by your spirit, I ask that you would just minister to each one of us. And God, again, I just, oh, I thank you so much for allowing us to be here today, to live in a country where we can still do this where we don't have to fear for our lives. But we can come together, worship you in spirit and truth, learn from your word, grow in closeness with you and with each other, and grow this family. I thank you for all of your blessings. And I pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus.